Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Aziz, and this week I was joined remotely by Josh White. Josh has worked in recruitment for five and a half years. He's built his recruitment career with Stanton House. However, for the last three years, he's been on a journey where he's taking his UK recruitment experience over to the United States. There's a real trend at the moment of UK recruitment companies venturing out and approaching to take over the US. So over the next couple of weeks, the recordings that I do remotely are going to be focused on recruiters that have successfully taken their careers or at least taken their markets to the States. And Josh is no different. For the last three years, he's built out a patch in Chicago, completely from scratch. I'm talking, he rocked up there before COVID and he was starting a brand new market that he hadn't done at all when he was in the UK. So over this conversation, we really broke down his strategy, what's worked, what hasn't, what all of you need to understand if you want to be successful in America. If he was to start over again, what would he do differently? I also asked a bunch of questions that a lot of you asked me to ask someone like Josh. So we had a really good conversation. If you are someone that would love to take your career to the United States or you have an opportunity with your company right now to start building out your market and desk in America, then you are going to get so much value from this episode. Enjoy it. And uh, that's enough from me. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. I'm your host. And today I'm really excited to be joined by Josh White. And um, I've done an introduction already. So we're going to get straight into it. And Josh, I want to ask you the million dollar question to start with, which is, and I'm sure you thought a lot about it since you've been growing your team, but I really want to hear your take on like, what characteristics and traits do you believe make up a highly successful recruiter in, in today's market? Let's Let's start there. Yeah, love it. So for me, I think, I think there's, I think there's a hundred sort of interchangeable things, right? That like one person has that one person doesn't have because everyone's, you know, an authentic version of themselves. But what what it comes down to, especially in the early days, is someone who has a, a growth mindset before anything else, someone who is people or, or customer focused, and someone who is really uh, at their core, very coachable. I think for you to go from knowing nothing about recruitment to being a recruitment superstar, those three things will really get you there. 
I love that. That's a great, I love those, I love those points. Growth mindset, coachability. And then the other one was like being like really passionate about customer service. Did you say? Yeah, it's, it's people focus or customer focus. It's about when you're talking to someone that you're actually listening to them. When you're talking to someone, you are taking in what they say and making them feel heard and that you're actually putting them first, right? So, you know, there's loads of little things that go into that integrity. They're, they're critical to, to relationship building, which is what we're all trying to do. Love it. So today, I know what people are really excited about, and, and obviously this is what we've been speaking about, right? I think there's a real trend of UK recruitment firms going to the US. They want it all. They want to take over America, right? So we are going to talk about your entire journey, but obviously today we're going to really hone in on like what has Josh's journey been like over the last three or so years in taking your life, your career to Chicago and, and to the States. So I guess yeah. just before we go into that, where I always like to start, obviously you've worked at Stanton House for over five years. You've progressed your recruitment career. You've got a track record there. Who was Josh before recruitment? <laughs> you know what? It's really, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. Not only because you asked me about it, but because it's Mental Health Awareness Week month, I actually think I was a bit of a lonely soul. I think, um, you know, I'm... Anyone who knew me when I was at school, you know, anywhere from sort of 14 to 16, I used to walk around the place telling everyone that I wanted to be a millionaire, which was really quite frankly, yeah, quite frankly, a little bit ludicrous. Like I always had my little entrepreneurial moments, you know, selling headphones. You know, I was always talking about big projects and big things I wanted to do, but I never really, I never really like clicked into gear. And when it comes to going to a sick form college, I got about three weeks in and I was like, this ain't for me. I'm going to go work full time. And my first job was selling suitcases in a house of Fraser, which, okay. I, which I actually did for about a year or so. And then I, then I got into furniture sales. I started selling high-end furniture. But that, that whole sort of, you know, retail thing, just, it just weren't for me. Like, I think I enjoyed it because I, I was quite passionate about it. I mean, I got passionate about suitcases, right? But <laughs> for me, <laughs> I really wanted to be in control of my own destiny. And when someone told me about recruitment, I saw that as an opportunity to, you know, be in control of my own destiny, right? Rather than waiting for people to come in and buy something, I could go out there and, and get them to come to me. I love that. Yes, like I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I mean, I even, yeah. I even did a plumbing course at college, but the only reason why I did that, right, was, I don't know how old you are, but was you around when you got EMA for college? Do you remember that? Uh, I don't. Well, I didn't really, I made it into week three of college. Fair. <laughs> so, so, e so e EMA, really... <laughs> EMA was basically for attending college, you got 30 quid a week. Wow. Back then that was a, that was an Xbox game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why week, but yeah, right? so but like I had I had no idea what I wanted to do, but it seems like you had a similar thing where like set when I sort of stumbled into sales, that's like I I couldn't resonate. That really resonates me. Like I know you you didn't quite have it from yeah. You're right. Relying on people walking into the shop, but I'm assuming what did resonate with you about it was like Josh can show up to work, suitcases, furniture, whatever. But like you know, if you work harder than the person next to you, like you will get rewarded for that. And that that's when when I stumbled across sales, I was like, oh my, yeah, that this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah, I think I felt quite lonely until I found sales. Like 
It wasn't that I wasn't necessarily academic. I definitely didn't apply myself. I'm sure we've all heard that before. But when I found sales, I was like, hold on, like, I can earn I can earn money just by by chatting to people and helping them helping them find something, right? Like helping them buy something. This is amazing. Mm, yeah, no, nah, but I, I can't. I mean, my my first sales job wasn't selling furniture; it was selling bar crawl tickets in Magaluf, commission only. Oh wow. So wow. I, a bit more exciting than suitcases. Well, <laughs> at least try to make it sound exciting anyway. Yeah, um, I'm sure you saw a bit more action. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, <laughs> I guess what, what I always like to ask as well, so I, lo- I love you sharing that. What has a career recruitment given you then that maybe you least expected? You know what? I think it's given me the, the ability to, to, to learn and be challenged every day. That is a little bit philosophical. A practical answer would be, you know, it's it's definitely helped me out. It's given me, you know, a lot of financial stability and, and security, and that's amazing. But I think the philosophical piece is definitely around sort of being able to learn, grow, be challenged every single day. I think when you and I see this with people that come, you know, that come through the ranks at Stanton House, and and I was probably exactly the same. You kind of think, okay, I'll do this training thing, and then you know, a couple of months in, I've, I've got it right. <laughs> I you know, training was off. I know how to do it, and. I mean, it's a bit of a rude awakening when you realise that actually the learning curve is completely continuous. Mm, I love that. So just giving you, yeah, no, I think that's great. So just continue to challenge yourself, obviously giving you the financial stability. But yeah, it's obviously ended up giving you a lot more in terms of like just being able to control your own destiny from a sales standpoint. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's also moved me out to the States and I met my amazing fiance, so I've got to be very grateful for those things too. But um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So, I guess final question on the early days, then, and then we'll we'll get into the the America stuff, which I know everyone wants to learn about. I'm sure you can agree, but like, there's probably never been more young people entering the recruitment industry than there ever has been before with this sort of recruitment yeah. boom, the amount of vacancies, the amount of jobs that uh, new people can get working on right away. Like, know it, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give? to Josh starting out in in recruitment and starting his career again do you think I would say I would say prepare to prepare to work prepare to be humbled and prepare to work with intensity and and focus and discipline I think especially you know having having worked before and perhaps this would have been different if I'd come straight from university having worked before I had a bit of a baseline of like, right, what's it like to turn up to work every day? And recruitment was certainly from my perspective, significantly harder than anything I've done before. And I was, you know, very humbled in the early days by, you know, by trying new things and failing at them. You've got to prepare to fail and not let it not let it throw you off. Like stay focused with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough at the beginning. Yeah, it is. How long did it take to do your first deal? Oh, Just remember. Probably longer, probably longer than it should have. I reckon it was four or five months. It was a part-time contractor or interim who was like a, you know, non-qual financial controller. You always remember it, don't you? Yeah, you do. You can't you can't can't forget it. Mate, mine was decent. It was an it was an old colleague. So it was, he sorted me out. That's good. That's very uh-huh. memorable. Mine was yeah. mine was pretty scrappy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So let so obviously ju- just to give people context, obviously worked in the UK for a number yeah. of years. 
obviously within the finance space, so you just mentioned then sort of a finance uh, finance professional. Yeah. But obviously from what I can see on LinkedIn, you can help me out with the timeline, but obviously 2019, is that when you went to the States or was you already working and building like, cause you hear a lot of people, right? They, they try and get traction before they go over there. So from what I can see online from October, 2019, it says senior consultant, cybersecurity sales in Chicago. So yeah. when did this start? Yeah, October 2019. <laughs> so you didn't do so you didn't do any like building talking to people before you went there? No, we didn't at all actually. My colleague James James Warren potentially did like a little bit, but I mean how much how much did that have an impact? I mean it was a couple of months. I think if I think, you know, I know lots of I know lots of people that do do that model where they kind of like incubate the business in the UK and then and then, you know, take it over and they've already got a few clients and so on and so forth. And I think if we had if we'd done that, maybe that would have been a good thing. But to be honest, uh, I literally I rocked up at Chicago in Chicago. I went to meet the team, um, you know, which was which was two people who were already there. I was the last yeah, I was the last. I was the last person to arrive. I mean, they all arrived about a week before me. Went to meet them both, and uh, then the next day, rocked up and like, I was like, right, what is what is this new market I'm doing? Wow. So, so just to frame it out for people because this is important. So, you was doing it with two other people. Yeah. Was they at similar level for as you experience wise? Yeah. So you had you've got uh, Henry Yeomans, who's uh, VP of North America. So Henry's uh, yeah, a few few more ex- years experience than, than me. He's been with Stanton House a bit longer. So he joined to sort of run the whole thing. And then you have myself and a guy called James, who were pretty much yeah, same level. Same level. Okay. Cool. So then, like, so you said they got there a couple of weeks before you. But so, like, yeah. did they, did Stanton House have a presence in the US at all? Like, j- just so we understand no. that. Right. Okay. No, so, not, right. Not let's break this down then, because that's that's nuts, right? <laughs> so, so obviously you said there this market, this new market that I'm doing. Just talk to us a bit about cybersecurity and why that ended up being the market that you wanted to focus on, because that would be helpful for people. So, when we set the business up in North America, we wanted to have a really niche focus. We all know, you know, inch inch wide, mile deep is the way to go. And we decided to we we landed on cybersecurity. We thought, right, that's going to be the the right market for us to go into. So we sort of split it up. We said, right, James is going to you know do the sort of technical cyber piece, and Josh is going to do pre-sales, which at the time we didn't really know what that meant. Um, <laughs> but so today, what that looks like is we've got a team that recruit for corporate America, right? So they place technical cybersecurity folk to help protect and defend corporate businesses in the States. And then we've got my lot, which has expanded slightly outside of cyber now. But what we do is we predominantly place sales, marketing and customer success people into cybersecurity startups. Love it. Okay. And that you've, so have you, how long have you been doing that for then? That whole time that you've been there? Yeah, I mean, we, I've been doing that since October, October 2019 now. Okay. So yeah, it was. I mean, it was fascinating on day one trying to work out what it was. I remember I moved out there, and the first thing I did was change my LinkedIn sales in Chicago, and I put cyber pre-sales. Like I didn't even really know what it meant to be honest, and I'm happy to admit that. And yeah. so my first, you know, I mean, it's amazing building out building out market. Yeah. Well, okay. Cool. Right. I'm excited to get into this. So, ju- just the last bit of context for people. Then, so that's what yeah. it looked like when you were there. What does it look like today in terms of team? What what you did last year or whatever? Like, let's just get that out of the way as well for people. 
This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. Now, I think it's safe to say that right now the market is crazy. Continue to hear people saying, never seen the market like it. And I continue to speak to recruiters who are inundated with jobs, which is why I'm not surprised that the number one word that I'm always hearing at the moment is automation. And if you're looking at how you can enable your teams to spend more time on what they're brilliant at, building relationships, speaking to people, then you need to look at Sourcebreaker. It's helped countless recruitment companies scale more quickly, enable their younger recruits and their rookies to get better more quickly and automate a whole lot of the the work that a lot of recruiters are probably not so good at and the work that, that maybe they don't enjoy as much. Because you listen to this podcast, you're going to be able to get an exclusive discount on the Sourcebreaker product. So if you have not already, get a demo booked in with Sourcebreaker. Use the link in the show notes. You will not regret it. If you're thinking about that word automation in 2022, you need to consider Sourcebreaker. Yeah. So last year, we I mean, we started 2021 with three of us. Wow. Um, the same three because we didn't we didn't grow much in in 2020 for for obvious reasons and today we are coming up to 18 people oh wow what's your financial year is it january to december or yeah yeah so i mean we are we are on track as an office to do well over i mean we're our target for the year is 3.5 as an office and already I mean, you know, both both teams did over two hundred percent in quarter one. Yeah, on 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 that target. So we had our first, we had our first sort of two teams worth doing, you know, a million dollars each, which is a good start to the year when you're, you know, when each tar- team's target is one point seven five. One point seven, yeah, that's mega. So what did you just quickly then final bit? What did you um, end on last year then, billings wise? So me personally, yeah, me personally, I ended up on somewhere somewhere between six and. Somewhere between six and seven hundred. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So let let let's break this down. So I guess the first thing that I, I have to ask you because I think it's it's really normal for people and it could be helpful for people that are are going into the states that aren't. But ju- mm. just really quickly, what's the advice or what are the principles to like upskilling yourself in the in the new market that you're in? Because I think a lot of people can overthink this, be worried about it. So knowing what you know now, these things, like if I rock into your Chicago office tomorrow and I'm like, I know fuck all about cybersecurity, what are you telling me to do that can help me get there quicker so then I don't feel really unconfident speaking to people? I don't feel like they're better than me because I don't have the information or knowledge. Like just talk to me a bit about that quickly because I think people can, that's helpful for people. Yeah. So... I think the market, the market itself, look, in terms of recruitment, right, recruitment's recruitment. So whether you're doing recruitment in the UK or you're doing recruitment in the US, fundamentally, like, in my opinion, the the sort of the, the principles of the things that you need to do to be successful are are the same. Now there there are there are naturally nuances. So nuances would be, you know, you're not gonna work a job with a client unless you've signed a contract with them. Because contract law in the US is everything. So we measure success when we're not doing, you know, when we're not doing deals with how many clients are we signing up. And that's because if they haven't got a contract signed, they don't have to pay you. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. So, you know, we measure our success. You know, it's it's a leading indicator for us as to whether or not we're winning. There are all sorts of little things. I mean, we don't, we don't, we're, we're a completely perm business. 
at Stanton House. I don't know. I can't really offer much of an opinion on the on the contract business. I'd probably say it looks scary, scary, uh, complicated, but we're not we're not in a position to comment on that yet. What I wanted to get your advice on was for anyone listening that like is going into like a brand new market that they don't know much about. Because you know you said like you didn't have a clue about cybersecurity. I was just curious. What's your advice to people to like upskill themselves in their niche that's been helpful? So for me. I think, you know, if you're a podcast person, listen to podcasts, right? You can always find podcasts on your, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're a podcast person, right? You can always find a podcast on your on your specialism, on your market. Go and listen to it, right? Like try and absorb some of that information. But I think the, the biggest thing and the thing that you need to do before you do anything else is just go and talk to some candidates. Mm. And I was pretty open with a lot of people. Like I said to people, look, I'm... I'm a recruiter. I just moved here from the UK. I've just started this new market. I'd love to love to have a chat with you and just understand a bit about, you know, ask you a couple of questions about the market. The best way to learn is getting on the phone, in my opinion. Mm. You can do all the reading you want. And I used to be a big procrastinator, right? Yeah, my, my first boss, Kevin Culverhouse, openly told our entire company once that he watched me read a, uh, a FTSE 100 annual report before I tried to cold call someone. <laughs> you, it's, you're, you compensate for like your fear, don't you? Because I've definitely done that. Yeah. You're like, because you're yeah. shitting yourself. Exactly. And it doesn't help, right? I mean, it's not a good use of time. So for me, I think the best thing to do is like be vulnerable, be open to learning and just be honest with people. Yeah, there will there will come a point where, you know, you need to, you know, not fake it till you make it. But, you know, you need to start, you, you know, you ask questions in the right way. Right. So we, we teach people how to how to have a good first conversation with someone without having to know everything about the market. And by them saying, hey, you know, tell me, tell me a bit about what your biggest challenge is day to day. That person who asked that question learns something not only about the candidate, but about their industry. Mm, no. Thanks for sharing that. So let, let's break this down then. So like, it sounds like, obviously you went, you told us what you ended up in last year, which is pretty much your whole mm. f- first year, right? And obviously that was during yeah. COVID vibes as well. So like, did you have a plan then at all? Well, I got out there. Yeah. Cause like you said, you uh, finished nearly north of like 700 K in that 2020. So that's like well, no, that October, 20, 2019, you land. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I always get confused at years. Like it's just, yeah. it's, a, it's a crazy, but okay. Yeah. So let, let's break this down then. So basically talk to us a bit about that first year then firstly, before we then go into yeah. the last two, that first year, did you have a plan? How long did it, did it take to get traction? Let's just talk a bit about that as yeah. to what it looked like and what you experienced. It took a couple of months to start, to start getting traction. You know, my, my strategy was about meeting senior people and making friends with them. My strategy was about uh, specking and my strategy was about, you know, just meeting and talking to as many people generally as I could. So I did a lot of that in the in the sort of first few months. I started to get some really good traction, probably December, January. I was um, I did my I think I did my first I did my first two deals in the US in sort of January, February of 2020 okay yeah so like two two to four months yeah yeah about that so that was pretty lucky we actually you know we, we had this massive gong we, we had a we had a budget to buy furniture for the office and it was a, it was assigned to me and i don't know say it was 500 dollars and i spent 
95% of it on the biggest gong you've ever seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why? So it was, it was a, we were all so excited. And I mean, look, the day that Chicago went into lockdown, March 16th, my birthday, I had, I had like three or four offers pulled. I mean, it was oh, devastating. Like I, I just, I was like, I've moved my life over here. I've been building out this market for five months. I'm about to do some, you know, amazing couple of deals, like way quicker than I thought. And now suddenly this has happened. Like, what, what, what did I do? And that that year was rough. But do you know what? It was a great opportunity to build great relationships with great people because I literally, like, I had no jobs to work, right? Mm. So I was proactively reaching out to senior people and making a making a ton of friends. Right. I was mm. meeting them, putting them through a sort of full sort of interview, giving them feedback, adding loads of value, keeping in touch with them. Like I built some amazing relationships and the relationships I built in 2020 are the ones that enabled me come to fruition to, to yeah. build. Yeah. The, the, you know, like I have one quarter last year where I build about 450k, which is, I mean, way more than I ever thought I would do in one quarter. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And Every single one of those deals you can track to those relationships built in 2020. Mm. So relationships then, yeah, is that important in the American market? Yeah, I think so. I mean this with, it's different. It's definitely different. My perspective on this, having worked the US market and the UK market, in the UK, it's really, really hard to even like get a seat at the table sometimes with a with with a senior stakeholder. Mm. Like I remember, you know, spending twelve months trying to get hold of a of a CFO. Like it was it was an absolute grind to like get you know get sat around the table with them. But once you did, you know, you had something that you could really trust in. In the US, I find that you know people are people are nicer. <laughs> To a degree, right? Like they're people in the US, people are, you know, sales is a is a more prestigious career than it is in the UK. People are less skeptical of sales people. And what that means is it's quite it's quite easy to get a seat around the table with someone. It's easy to get a, you know, to get a sort of engaged customer as such, or someone who you think wants to work with you. What's really hard is getting that, you know, that loyal status, getting a customer who sort of you know, won't pick up the phone to anyone else but you. Mm. That takes a long time. What are the principles to get into that point? I think the principles to get into that point for me are about talking to someone, not because you've got something, not because you need something, but just because you care about that person. I have so many customers now, you know, I mean, so many. I mean, you can only have so many relationships that are this strong. But I've probably got, I don't know, 20, 20 relationships with people that I would genuinely say are almost, you know, professional friends, right? I know I know their kids' names. I know, I know what they like to do at the weekends. Mm. That stuff takes a lot of time to get there. You've got to add value to them professionally. You've got to show an interest in who they are, both professionally and personally. And you've got... You've got to keep in touch with them. How can recruiters listen to this, add value to, because I'm sure everyone listening to this wants to have those types of relationships. Well, you'd like to think yeah. so. But like, yeah. how, how can recruiters listen to this, Josh? Like, 
when you say add value, I, I understand that. And I, I have some ideas that come up for me, but like just to go a bit granular here, like what does that value actually look like beyond talking to them about jobs or candidates? Yeah. So every, every senior person I meet, every person I meet, I try and give them feedback. There is, there is feedback you can give absolutely everyone. And feedback's a gift. But it's something that a lot of the time we feel a bit uncomfortable about giving. So, you know, I'll, I'll meet someone and I'll say, are you open to some feedback? Yeah, that's quite a critical part because someone has to acknowledge that they are happy to receive it. Most of the time people say, yeah, sure. And I'll always find something to give to them. I say, right, you know, I, I really enjoyed meeting you. Here's what I think, you know, you did really well. Here's a, here's a, here's a couple of things and I'll, you know, give some examples here are a couple of things I think, you know, if you tweet, you get a better outcome. And I'll give an example. I'll say, right, you said this. And if you said this, you would have, you know, people would perceive it much better, right? So I'm giving someone something which is, you know, could be life-changing for them. Mm. Because at their, you know, next interview, whether it's through, through you know, Josh or, or, or not, if they bring a technique or, or, or if they utilize some feedback that came from me, they'll remember that. What does that look like for clients? That's really fascinating. I've got a great story to tell you about that. Give it to us. I had a customer, a client who was introduced to me and he said, he said, right. He said, I'm sick of recruiters telling me they're different. Like what really, what makes you different? <laughs> Okay. And, you know, I'm talking about customer experience and all the stuff that I really believe in. And he, he basically, he's pretty direct. He said, Josh, he said, I'm not buying it. <laughs> no, I've heard it before. He said that. He said, I'm not buying it, Josh. He said, yeah, he said, I'm not buying it. He said, what makes you really different? And I said, our interview process, when we meet candidates and we vet them, is more thorough than any experience you will ever have. And he said, okay, can you do it tomorrow at 9am with me? Wow. So I set up and I, I interviewed this potential client and it got to feedback and I was thinking in my head, I was thinking, I don't really know this guy that well. If I give him, if I give him feedback and he doesn't like it, he's not going to work with me. <laughs> but I thought, you know what? The right thing to do here is to give him feedback. And I'm not saying I tore into him, but I gave him very honest, objective feedback that he could work on. And I mean, I think they, I think they spent about 200 grand with us last year. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Did that end up being the thing that like he picked up on that was like unique or different? Probably you even showing up to do it was probably unique and different. How many people would then bottle it if he said that? Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he was like, this is the most thorough experience I've ever had. And he's like, you know, if if, if you're going to put every candidate through this before they meet me, then you're my guy. You're going to save me a lot of time. Yeah. Love that story. Thanks for sharing that. It's all right. So, okay, cool. So we've got really doubling down on relationships, giving value, yeah. not being transactional. Uh, okay, so let, let's just talk about a few other things here then. So you mentioned then, so it's definitely, because this has been a nuance that we picked up on, but you sort of said there that, in terms of just being a recruiter and calling someone, that's mm. actually been, that's something that's sort of perceived 
better and differently yeah. in the US. Yeah. So that, that's fair to say. How about competition? How have you found that like, as you've been growing the market? Because obviously we all, like you all hear, right? Recruitment in the UK is so fucking saturated. Like yeah. how, how did you find that on that journey? Did you find that you did end up competing with agencies a lot or what was the competition like? This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry. Now, you should know by now that they are on the quest and their vision and mission is to be and become the operating system for growing recruitment companies. Well, you may or may not have seen, but I'm here to tell you that they've recently added another fantastic piece of kit to their overall amazing system. It's called Vineo. You can probably guess what it is. A lot of you, and for the last two or so years, have probably accelerated your use of video. So having a tool which is seamlessly in your uh, CRM, what you use every day to prospect candidates, prospect clients, to use video in in your interview process, it's just going to make your life a whole lot easier. So just another amazing reason why you need to check out Vincherry if you're looking for an all-in-one platform, the operating system that you need as you scale your recruitment business, then you have to consider Vincherry. Use the link in the show notes. Because you're a Recruitment Mentors listener, you will get an exclusive discount and price. So use that link and you will not regret it. The competition landscape is definitely less saturated, right? Like you just need to look at the numbers to see that. But it doesn't mean there isn't any competition. Like there's still absolutely some really key players in the market. You know, a couple of them are a couple of them are US recruiters um, that have been operating for a long time. A couple of them are, you know, some of the big British firms that have moved out there. The difference, the difference is, especially with a lot of the a lot of the US recruiters that I see, is they're a bit like a, you know, one stop shop, right? They do a lot of different things, whereas a lot of the British recruiters that move over there. They, they tend to be quite focused and, you know, in, in niches. I mean, I would say every every person I work with says to me, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting 10, 12 calls a day from recruiters or I'm getting 10, 12 messages a day from recruiters because, yeah, maybe it's, you know, maybe there's less recruiters here, but you've got, you know, hundreds of them sat in the UK that work in the US market. Mm. Okay, so that's interesting. So obviously you've ended up obviously building traction, building a reputation. What do you think has been like the number, you've probably spoken about it, but I just wanted to ask and clarify, like what has been the number one thing do you think that has really enabled you to like build a reputation? I think, I think it really comes down to being absolutely committed to building great relationships with great people. Mm. I just don't think there's anything that I don't think there's anything that tops that, and it's leveraging those too, right? Like I let people leverage my network as much as I leverage theirs. So I'm happy to introduce any of my customers to any of my customers, not expecting, not maybe not because they want like we get a lot of like uh, you know cyber vendors that want to work with other cyber vendors on like alliances, and I very very happily will introduce them. Not to make any money out of it, but just because, you know, I'm introducing two great people to do, you know, great things. Mm. Okay. Nice. I've got some specific questions for you. Okay. Because I put, I put, um, 
a post out there and a couple of people asked some really good questions. So I just want to make sure we get them asked. I think this is, this is a good moment because of what we've been speaking about. So I guess to maybe wrap up then, because we've been speaking a bit about it and you've, you've done a really good job of sharing what you've learned and these things. But one of the questions was, and I think a lot of people are thinking this, right, is like, what would you say are the main differences then in recruiting in the US to the UK? This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry. Now, you should know by now that they are on the quest and their vision and mission is to be and become the operating system for growing recruitment companies. Well, you may or may not have seen, but I'm here to tell you that they've recently added another fantastic piece of kit to their overall amazing system. It's called Vineo. You can probably guess what it is. A lot of you, and for the last two or so years, have probably accelerated your use of video. So having a tool which is seamlessly in your uh, CRM, what you use every day to prospect candidates, prospect clients, to use video in in your interview process, it's just going to make your life a whole lot easier. So just another amazing reason why you need to check out Vincherry if you're looking for an all-in-one platform, the operating system that you need as you scale your recruitment business, then you have to consider Vincherry. Use the link in the show notes. Because you're a Recruitment Mentors listener, you will get an exclusive discount and price. So use that link and you will not regret it. Yeah, so the point around point around relationships, I think you have to... You don't have to work as hard to get someone on the phone, but I think you have to work a bit harder to really build a you know a great relationship with them. Loyalty. The second point is the point around nuances with contracts. You want to agree things up front. You want to get a contract you know in place before you start working on jobs. It's a commitment thing. It's also you know contractually you're not as well covered in the UK as you as you are you know you know as you would be in the UK. I think those are. Those for me are probably the two the two main things. Okay. Yeah, nice. A few other granular things. How have your recruitment skills developed since being in the US? I like that question. I would say I've become way more intense in how I operate. I think in the UK I was alright. Like I never really achieved exceptional things in the UK. I never really like clicked into into gear. I think there was a lot of potential there, which hopefully is why they moved me out here. But I never really had like an amazing quarter, right? Like I did all right. And when I moved to the US, I just like, you know, I was was so, I mean, this was like my chance, right? Like I had, I wanted this so bad. I still want it so bad. I want us to build something exceptional so much. And I'm so driven to do that. And I think it's enabled me to work with more intensity, to work with more focus, maybe a degree of structure. And the other thing is I've, I've really transitioned from, you know, being, a, being an individual contributor to leading people. And that's been, that's been hard, right? Like I'm sure, I hope my team will listen to this. <laughs> and there's been pain points, right? It's really hard. I was, probably, I was probably a nightmare to begin with. Yeah, that's quite common. What's ended up surprising you the most then? about the US that maybe you weren't prepared for? I think this might be a controversial point. I don't necessarily think, um, I think there's a lot of hype around it. What, going to the US? Yeah, I think people are like, you know, you go to the US, it's the, 
you know, you, you're going to, you know, I heard someone say once, if you can build 200K in the UK, then you can build a million dollars in the US. Yeah, I might have heard that before. I don't necessarily agree with that. Look, the market, the market is like, if you look at it statistically, if you look at the facts, right, then you have got higher salaries, you can probably get higher fees in a lot of scenarios. And obviously that, you know, those two things mean that that does set you up for a bit bit more success in a way. But I think it's got its other challenges. You can probably bill 30% more, but depending on where you live, it might cost you 30% more to live there, right? Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's amazing opportunity. Yeah, you can, you can do, you know, you can achieve amazing, amazing things out here. I think there is this there is this view that if you go and do recruitment in America, then you're you know you're going to make millions, right? And I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, fair enough. No, I appreciate you being honest with that. So, couple couple of granular things then, because I, there's a, I know there's a few more things you want to talk about, but I'm actually really yeah. keen to get your take on your experience of actually Josh the human being taking his life to the US, because I think that's something that's really important yeah. for people to consider and factor as well. So, first one is. And we don't maybe don't have to go into as much detail, but what's the average interview process look like in the US? Is it shorter? Is it the same sort of thing? I know it depends on role, but all in all, like, is it a bit more of a quicker turnaround? Yeah, probably not. It's probably exactly the same, to be honest. I mean, I used to recruit contracts in the UK. I recruit perm now, so I'd not really done perm before. And based on people I knew in perm, I'd say it's probably about the same on average. Oh, so are permanent candidates actually available more quickly do they all have one week notice periods is it is that a thing as well the yeah the average the average notice period is two weeks two weeks yeah and that's definitely the case that you've experienced yeah i would say 99 percent of people we've placed have been on two week notice periods okay cool bit more candidate stuff then so like interesting one because i've spoke to a few people about this before and this was actually more from an internal angle but like from your perspective as well candidates in the u.s do you think uh the question was like how, do people in the u.s put more emphasis on like the company benefits is it like the 401k i don't i can't remember what, what it is and, and the more or are they more engaged on the base salary to be honest i think it's pretty holistic like you know Healthcare obviously is like quite a big thing because unlike the UK, we don't have the NHS in the US, mm. um, so you don't have public healthcare. So I think healthcare is a big thing. Yeah, four hundred one k is a big thing. I think broadly speaking, though, like people always look quite holistically at the package. Quite a pragmatic way to look at it. Yeah, but yeah, I'd say you know you definitely you know talk about these things, but there is, I guess, a classic. There's there's an expectation that like the healthcare will be broadly in line with what the market should be and that the 401k would be broadly in line with the market and anything above that is a bonus anything down from that you probably want to flag early on how have you found covid impact the remoteness that companies are willing to hire from because obviously america's so big because i guess yeah i guess it depends what market you're in but has it really ended up sort of opening up talent pools where people may not have been able to commute in previously i don't know how's that what does that landscape look like like definitely, I think a lot of the roles that we recruited anyway were, you know, a lot of it was moving towards remote, but I would say a ton more of it is now. I mean, the US is, you know, you frequently hear people talk about, you know, well, it's easy just to sort of hop on a plane, right? Like a lot of people are quite used to doing one or two, you know, a lot of professional people are quite used to doing one or two domestic flights a week. Really? 
Yeah, yeah. I remember like early on, like people saying, you know, when we were setting the business up, they're like, oh yeah, get used to sort of like, you know, hopping all over the place, going to New York for a meeting, going to San Francisco for a meeting and stuff like that. And I mean, that hasn't really materialized because of COVID and because there's one or two conferences a year, which we can go to and kind of see most of our, most of our customers. Um, but yeah, that's probably the biggest shift is I think people definitely aren't traveling as much as they did a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's interesting. And then one that obviously people always hear about, so we've spoken about higher salaries, which can mean like bigger fees, but like, what about, you don't have to give me like the average at Stanton House, but like has, what's the sort of typical percentage that you end up working with customers on? Is it, has it ended up being higher? Because people said like 30% in the US, like what, what's ended up being, what's quite normal? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, you know, you get, you get companies a bit like the UK, right? You get companies like, that are, I guess, the bottom rate that you kind of see companies go, right, it's this or nothing, which is a bit like, resonates with my experience in the UK, is probably 20%. Okay. Whereas in the UK, say that's 15, right? Yeah. That you might get on like a big account. There are definitely instances where you can get, you know, 28 to 32, which is pretty decent. I heard about someone getting 40% once. I don't know whether that's a little bit unethical. Um, depends what they're delivering. <laughs> What's like the average that you're aiming with your team that you feel is like achievable? Like if you were to say to your team, right, by the end of the year, I really want us to be aiming for our average fee percentage yeah. to be and around this. I think, I think somewhere, you know, 28, 30%, I'd be really happy with. I'm confident that the, that, that what we provide that provides great value for, for our mm. customers too and, and means that I can sleep easy at night knowing that our customers are getting great value. I never want anyone to be getting ripped off by it, right? Yeah, for sure. Especially because it's quite a vulnerable thing. You know, you're signing a contract with a recruiter you've never worked with before. That's quite an interesting point. Mm. You know I mean, whereas in the UK, you typically give them, give them the, you know, you bring the product to them and then you sign the contract in a lot of scenarios. And they're signing it before. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're, when you're agreeing, you know, you're agreeing a rate before you've delivered anything, mm. it's quite an interesting thing to navigate because there's no, there's no product to go, well, you know, here's, here's proof of the value, right? Yeah, that is interesting. So is that when you then had to double down on obviously showcasing the way you work, experience, those things? Yeah, I mean, one of the big things I do is I'll just I'll just send a list of people that they can call. So I'll be like, right, any of these 10 people, here are their email addresses and phone numbers. They will act as a reference for us. Mm, yeah. Before I ask you about your own personal journey then, like mm. so you've spoken about a few different things. I know this will be really helpful for people, but like what... If you were to, to start all over again, how would you do it differently? I don't know whether I would do anything differently. Okay. I think I learned so much doing it the way I did it. And, you know, maybe I would have, okay, here's one. I think my, my business development strategy was probably a little bit like too many eggs in one basket to start with. I don't think I did enough sort of spec in and stuff like that. And I mostly focus on building building senior relationships, which is kind of naturally what I'm good at. So I think I could have, you know, I was I was uncomfortable <laughs> in a new market, in a new city. And I think I probably was a little bit, a little bit, I wanted to stay in my comfort zone to a degree with the way that I worked. Like I wanted right. to, you know, I, I, 
I was attracted to working in the way that I felt was best for me. Whereas actually, you know, my colleague James, he, you know, got there and started doing a lot more specking. And I think he had a few sort of earlier wins and it probably put his market a few months ahead of mine. Yeah, fair. So what, so p- people in the thick of it now, right now then, or on the journey, like, or people that maybe are at the very beginning of the journey, like what, what would your advice be to them to sort of wrap, wrap this all up? I would say reach out to loads of people and ask for a ton of advice, right? And, and put, it into, put it into action. I would say keep your strategy quite broad. Like, you know, decide on, work out what your operating model is really quickly. I think I'm not trying to overcomplicate recruitment, but I think when you're building a market, you need to fundamentally understand what are the things that you need to do on a weekly basis that are going to get you to where you are, right? Mm. Because when you're sat in a mature UK business, you've got people who are telling you what that is. When you're building a new market in a new country, you're kind of in the driving seat on that. Yeah. So it's something I always push myself on. And and when we expand into new markets, it's a big focus is what are the, you know, three things, the five things that you need to do on a weekly basis to say, do you know what, I've had a great week. Going in the right direction. Well, yeah, just give that, an example of one of those things. Is it like uh, have X number of candidate regs per week, those types of things? Yeah, spot on. So like mine would have been like get a spec out every weekend, every week. So spec, spec a senior person out every week, meet three senior people, line up four senior meetings. You know, it's stuff like that. It's the it's about measuring that meaningful input so that you can really benchmark whether or not you're on track. Yeah. And if yeah, you're, yeah. Cause then you can look at leading indicators that you are. Yeah, exactly. So as we come to the end here, like last five minutes or so, I want to make sure I ask you like, cause I, I think whenever I speak to people that have made the move, I think sometimes this can be overlooked. I guess what was um, maybe challenging for you personally when you first, obviously it helped that you were with two other guys than if you live together or whatever, but like what, like personally, what was that journey like for you in terms of like actually building social circles there, all those types of things, like the stuff that yeah isn't work right because you're not you're not fucking working twenty four yeah. hours like you're living in Chicago. Yeah. So like, what what was that actually like? Well, that's one of the hardest things, right? Is to not work twenty four hours because mm. you've just moved somewhere to build a business and you don't know that many people. It's really really easy to just like be plugged in all the time. And I was definitely a bit like that. Look, I mean, I was, I'll say this, and my friends and family know this, I was really ready for the move. Okay. Like, I personally, as soon as I got there, I was like, I feel happy. I didn't know I was a bit miserable in the UK. Like, I don't know what it was. It was like something clicked in me. So I was really ready for it. But look, it's really vulnerable. It feels like, uh, feels like you're on holiday, feels like you're on a vacation for the first few months. And that is a bit mental because it means that you eat out every night, spend (laughs) loads of money. Big advice that I'll give to anyone moving to the States, move here with a load of money saved up. I didn't. (laughs) And I ran dry pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, you just, you just live like you're on holiday, you live, you know, and it's, it's great fun. And the first time I didn't, it didn't really resonate with me until the first time I went home. I flew back for Christmas. I moved end of October. So I went back for Christmas and when I left my family after Christmas, that's when it suddenly, like, I sat on the plane and I was like, oh, I, I live somewhere else. Like, that's the moment that, yeah. that, it really, that it really hit me. Whereas before, the previous couple of months, I was like, this is amazing. I'm on holiday, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. 
but yeah, I think, you know, put yourself out there. Um, I went on a lot of mandates. Um, you know, I'd, yeah. I'd like, <laughs> I'd, you know, I don't know, like maybe I'd be at a bar or something and, you know, you get chatting, having a laugh and I'd go, look, I promise I'm not coming on to you, but do you want to ever go for a beer? And I made quite <laughs> a lot of friends by doing stuff like that. Like, I just think you need to, it's quite a weird thing to make friends as an adult. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, like, as you get older, yeah, because you by then you've sort of got your circle of friends, haven't you? Was it, is there like, is there, obviously you're in Chicago, is there an expat, expat culture or like a community there or? Yeah, there's a Facebook page called Brits in Chicago, which is. Really? There's probably one mostly, for every state to be fair. Yeah, yeah, there probably is, which is mostly like middle-aged people who live in like right in the suburbs, right? Like, um, mm. but you do find, you do find like there's probably now a group of like, you know, we've got a Brits in Chicago WhatsApp group. And there's probably 20, 30 of us, something like that. So we've built up quite a good little community now. How did you end up meeting each other? Just on like seeing each other on like LinkedIn and stuff like that? Yeah, face on that Facebook page, Brits in Chicago, we found a couple of people, found people, you know, just going down to like the Irish bars, like when the Euros was on, you know, you'd see someone sat by yourself. There's a lad that moved here last year that we saw sat by himself at the Euros, bless him. Oh, we're wow, like, that's, Come that's on, mega. Mate. Um, yeah, that's class. I think the cool thing about that is you've instantly got something in common. Yeah. You, you've moved your like life over there. So like you've instantly got common ground of like, how have you found it? What, yeah. like what's been the weirdest thing so far? What visa are you on? What visa are you on? Do you know what I mean? All that. So like, yeah, that's cool. So overall then, I guess I'm sure there's been some challenging times, but overall it's been like a really, it seemed like a real sort of you as a human being, like a growth, just you, you've really grown yeah. as a person, which is really cool. Yeah, dead happy. Yeah, love that. Josh, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for being so honest, transparent. I know that'd be really helpful for people. And I know that you're someone that's always keen to help. So if if anyone wants, um, yeah, more uh, advice or thoughts, then definitely make sure you connect with Josh on, on LinkedIn. But yeah, Josh, really excited to, to see where you take the business in the next couple of years. So thanks so much for, for joining me. Cool. Thanks, Hesham. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform that will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast i hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the recruitment mentors podcast